Hi there, I'm Jim. And I'm Julianne. Let's talk teaching. Welcome to Let's Talk Teaching, a podcast from the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Technology here at Illinois State University. I'm Jim G. Joining me today, once again, Dr. Julianne McFan, our program team lead here at CTLT. Hi, Julianne. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm great. And you know what? We're following up on something you mentioned in, in your debut podcast. Yes. Uh, your debut episode, I should say, of Let's Talk Teaching, which is essentially talking about making sure that when we give students a test that we're actually measuring what we wanted to measure. Yes. And that sounds simple, but I suspect it's not as easy as it sounds. It isn't, because what happens a lot of times, uh, and I know this because I get emails from faculty members saying, so I'm giving this exam tomorrow. Could you look it over? And I realized that they wrote it like five minutes ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, what happens all too often is that we realize, oh, I have to give this exam. And I better write it. Mm -hmm. And then they just kind of pull questions out of here and there and everywhere. Mm -hmm. And then the students get it. And then they hand the exam back. And the students are like, this is so not fair. And other um, things like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it can all be avoided. And we'll mm -hmm. talk about how. Yeah, and we're not talking about teaching to the test, kind of in the way. No. Yeah, kind of in the way that it's it's in in the last decade or so that we we talk about that, especially in K through twelve. Uh, what we're really talking about is thinking ahead. Yes. About the assessment, as you are teaching or as you begin to teach that content, right? Correct. Um, what's what most people don't realize is that you actually should create your test or at least a draft of your test, before you actually teach your lessons. Mm -hmm. Because if it's worth testing, so to speak, right. it's worth teaching. Right. We're also not just talking about very basic knowledge questions. Like you're just going to make sure that they know that the answer is A and C and then B and then A again. You're, you're talking about what are the open questions that you're going to be asking? Correct. What are the, what are the application questions or, the, or the, right. the ones that require some creative thinking or some critical thinking? So it does. It it doesn't just dictate. You don't write the test and then use that as your lesson plan. Correct. Correct. Okay. I I use a word that is really kind of jargony. It's alignment. Uh -huh. We want to make sure that our learning outcomes, our assessment, and our instructional strategies are all in alignment. Mm -hmm. And you notice what order I used. I did that. It was um, figuring out what what's important for them to learn. And then how will you know they've learned it? Mm -hmm. And then figuring out, oh, how will I get them there? And students kind of pick up when there's a disconnect in that process, right? Because you and I have talked, we get feedback from students when we go in and talk to classes that uh, this test was unfair. I wasn't yes. prepared for it. We didn't, we didn't talk about any of that stuff. Correct. In fact, I had a group of students tell me that just yesterday saying, uh -huh. we, we're learning a lot. We love our instructor, but she spent four weeks talking about this topic and then it was like the test just talked about stuff from the book. And uh -huh. we asked her, what should we know? And she says everything. And it just doesn't seem fair. It's like the instructor was just choosing picky answers right. instead of looking at what all we've learned. Mm -hmm. I have to confess, I occasionally, having written a test, I find myself 
certain topics are easier to write questions for, and they're not always the topics that I really want my students to emphasize, but I can't help it because <laughs> it's easy to write three different questions on topic X, but, but you know, the depth is really in topic Y. Yes. And, and it is easier to write certain types of questions, mm-hmm. and it's easier to write questions if you haven't planned it out in advance, it is much easier to write questions on topics you've just taught because it's fresh in your head and you're thinking, mm. hey, I want them. Okay, we talked about this and we talked about this and they should know about this or mm-hmm. that. And also, if we use test banks, and I want to come back to that, the fact that we shouldn't use test banks, but if we talked about it in class, when we're looking through a test bank, it's like, oh, this is good, this is good, this is good. And we don't keep in mind what we taught a couple of weeks ago or whatever mm-hmm. was at the beginning of that mm-hmm. assessment period. And that's not a, a, given a flaw in someone's teaching. It's, it's, it's human nature. It's to just human nature. The, the primacy recency effect. We talk about that <laughs> in communication, too. So you remember the first thing, and then you remember the yes. most immediate things yes. that you do. So we, I think we've done a good job kind of framing what the problem is. So what do you do about it? Okay, so then there's this wor- this phrase that always, when I say it in my workshops, um, you know how frogs have that extra lens that drops down when they're underwater? Okay. When I mention the term table of specifications, and then I look around the workshop room, right. I see all these faculty members' extra lens drop down over their eyes. And, right. And they look terrified. Right, and, right. And it's just, you know, a $500 word that really means thinking about how your assessment is in alignment with your learning outcomes. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like creating a map. So a lot of people also like to call them exam maps. Mm -hmm. But me being the geek, I want to call it table of specifications because that's what I learned 20 years ago. Right, right. So I, I think exam map may be a little more... Yes. Yeah, I think it's a little a little more approachable, but I understand what you mean by a table of specifications because you're actually laying out, right? Exactly. Um, your 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 plotting out. Uh, well, I guess mapping out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm starting to get it now. You, you, isn't it great seeing the light bulbs slowly yes, start to guys. turn on here? And so, and, and so, let's be clear, we will put examples in the show notes, right? So that um, you can, uh, if you need to stop the podcast and pull out these examples so mm-hmm. that you kind of get an idea of what we're talking about. That's perfect. That's perfect. We can certainly do that. So what? Um, uh, walk me through, what, what does one of these things actually do? What it does is you identify what your learning outcomes are for each of your lessons. And mm-hmm. each lesson should have about two or three learning outcomes. Mm-hmm. And I want to be clear that a lesson does not necessarily mean a class session. Okay. You could have a lesson that lasts several class sessions, um, but you shouldn't have more than two or three learning outcomes because then you're trying to cram too much in. I see. And so you're just listing what those learning outcomes are, and then you're deciding how important is that learning outcome. Mm-hmm. So you're prioritizing this outcome um, is more important, and I'm going to spend more time teaching this than I am this particular learning outcome. So, for instance, about um, stages of development, I'm going to spend more time talking, and I'm teaching grade school teachers, 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to spend more time on the stages of development that are important to them. But it's still important for these students to learn about the earlier stages. I'm going to ask more questions. I'm going to spend more time on the elementary level stages of development. I see. Is that clear? Yeah. Yeah. So what you're doing is you're, you're prioritizing, you're targeting, you're prioritizing yes. exactly what information you're going to teach on because these are the outcomes that you want them to, to right. explain and you want to measure with this assessment, yes. this exam that you're coming up with. And so then when I go to write my test, I'm going to say, okay, I've spent more instructional time on these learning outcomes. So going back to my example, I've spent more time on stages of development related to elementary students. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask more questions related to the outcomes I've spent more time on and less or fewer questions on the ones I've touched on but aren't as important. So it sounds to me like this, this tool we're talking about, this table of specifications, isn't like a one and done sort of thing. It's something that you create before you begin teaching to inform your teaching, and then you have to revisit it again in order to yes. create the exam? Yes. Okay. One of the reasons why I like um, mapping out or right. coming up with a draft of an exam ahead of time uh-huh. is that then I know, okay, these are the things I think are important enough right. to test on so I better make sure that my students are learning about these things. I better make sure that I'm teaching these things. When they see the exam, it's not the first time they've encountered it. Exactly. Okay. What we're probably talking about when we're talking about these types of exams, this is more, going back to our, our past episode, more of a summative assessment yes. usually. Yes. So explain how formative assessment, which we talked about last time, can that inform What's in this uh, this map that we're creating? It can inform it. In fact, there's no one correct table of specification format. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when you create your table or your map, you could say, okay, here's the assessment pieces I'm going to use with these learning outcomes to make sure that my students are learning this information. Mm-hmm. So this is here's the types of formative assessment things I'm going to do. And then here's the type of summative questions or assessment that I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And then you also, when you're creating this map, you also think how complex does their learning need to be? Because there's some things that just need to be memorized. And so that's not very complex. Mm -hmm. And then there's other times we want the level of learning to be quite complex, which is if we're thinking of Bloom's taxonomy, it's Mm -hmm. the create level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if you're if you are thinking about the kinds of questions or the activities that you want your students to be able to do, then as you're figuring out the activities, your lessons, you can say, "Oh, I better make sure I teach them enough so that they can create and don't just stick at the factual kind of right. level." Right. Right. In fact, I think you know, you had said something very uh, very interesting earlier when you were talking about what is a lesson. Which we're getting really into the into the atomic structure of teaching here, but but now that I think about about it, you know, uh, in the back of my mind, I ask myself, okay, well, if it's not by day, if it's not by class period, how would I break up a lesson? And I think if it's probably one criteria could be the complexity of the lesson because there's there is less complex information that students need to know before they can move on to. Correct. The more complex information. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And it sounds like using this sort of map or this sort of table of specifications 
can help me make sure that I'm not concentrating too much on the one, even though the one existed really only to get them to the other Correct. lesson. Um, okay. If you don't mind, I'd like to take a moment to talk about my um, analogy. Is that the right word? Of how to think about like levels of complexity. Sure. I uh, like to use, when I'm explaining Bloom's taxonomy and the mm-hmm. levels of complexity, I like to think about how the less complex levels are like a tricycle. Okay. Um, and children can ride the tricycle without any help. Mm-hmm. But then there comes a level where they're going to need training wheels. And so that's a little bit more complex, but still don't need quite so much help from the instructor or parent. And then there comes the point when the training wheels come off mm-hmm. and it, we're getting more complex. And this is where instructors really need to use what's called um, the zone of proximal development. Wow, we're wow. I think you just went for jargon overload. You just pegged the jargometer. Uh, the jargon meter. It's flashing in the red zone. What what was that again? It's called zone of proximal development. And what does that mean? And it just means it's kind of that sweet spot where students can learn, but they need that little extra help from you. And mm-hmm. so using the bicycle thing, it's when the parent is running along behind the kid as he's learning how to ride his bike, holding onto the seat. Right. And then you let go of the seat. Right. And the child is still riding, and they're going, I'm riding, I'm riding. And then they crash into a tree. Right. Uh, In my case, it was a telephone pole. Oh. Yes. (laughs) And then the most complex level, of course, would be them being able to ride by themselves, but a unicycle. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, so... Yeah. You know, when you're thinking about your test, do you want it to be at a tricycle level or do you want it to be, or the question, do you want it to be at the unicycle level? Right. And I would imagine the answer is somewhere in between, right? Well, it depends on what that learning outcome is. What do you want them to know or be able to do or Mm -hmm. feel as a result of that learning outcome? That's a good way of thinking about um, what this continuum is. Yes. Uh, looks like that we're talking about here. It's yes. a good way to relate to that. Yes. Especially since I had training wheels on my bicycle <laughs> until I think I was like eight years old or something ridiculous. Oh, I, I think dad had to craft them out of like hardened steel or something like that. <laughs> I, uh, I was afraid you were going to say 18. I was going to say, yeah. oh dear. <laughs> no, no. No, no. Okay. So now I think I understand what your answer is going to be when I ask this. You wanted to go back and talk about test banks. Why can test banks then be problematic when we're talking about really taking steps to make sure that we're measuring what we intend to measure with a test. One of the major problems with test banks is, major problem is, that um, they are written by people who don't know how to construct test items. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, you know, the the textbook author um, is told by the publisher, we need a test bank to go with this. Mm -hmm. And so they have... um, Somebody, maybe they have a research assistant or a graduate assistant who may be fresh out of college themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay. They don't understand how to construct test items, and they're just usually poorly written. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, that's also why a lot of them are targeted for the less complex levels of thinking, because those are the easiest ones to write. They the, the are no, the knowledge level questions. Name they, three things. That, right. Yeah. Okay. It's just all factual. Right. Now, 
what I like to use with test banks is to look through it and get the juices flowing in the brain and mm-hmm. say, oh, this kind of question might work with this learning outcome at this, and I can fine tune it to this level of complexity. Sure. So don't take them at face value, but okay. go ahead and use it to get ideas. So it's more of a quality issue yes. issue with test banks because you could conceivably because for example in ReggieNet you can create your own bank of questions for a for a quiz yes. that's it's not the it's not the idea of different students a- answering different questions as long as all of the questions are well constructed well and germane constru- to, to yes. the lesson okay i um one time i was teaching in a graduate level assessment course and uh-huh. it had test bank associated with it and none of the test items followed the best practices that right. were being taught in right. this assessment course. <laughs> <laughs> That's was, how I like my irony. Yeah. <laughs> and it was kind of like, oh dear. Yeah. Yeah. So um just be very cautious. Right. Even even the psychometric people can get in trouble sometimes. We've talked a lot about a lot of concepts today. From a practical standpoint, I have an exam I'm giving at the end of the semester. Yes. Uh, whether it's a final exam or it's, it's the last exam of the term or whatever. Um, what can I do right now? It's already We're already eight or nine weeks into the semester at this point, uh, maybe a little later when people actually hear this, uh, this podcast or this episode. What can I do right now to make sure that what I measure at the end of the semester is what I should be measuring? I would first start with creating a list of the learning outcomes that you're teaching between now and the end of the semester. Really prioritize and think about how much time, instructional time, and instructional time can include students actually reading the textbook. It doesn't necessarily mean you talking. Right. Um, And make that list and figure out what's more important, what's Mm -hmm. most important, what's less important. Mm -hmm. And then start thinking about percentages. Mm -hmm. And... um, and then from there, you can start thinking about how many test items or what kinds of questions you want to ask. So so just to, to kind of hammer home the point, if the answer to that question, you know, what is more important, what is less important, if the answer is it's all equally important. You're doing it wrong. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> I, I didn't want to be the one to say that, but but then then you're, you're approaching it the wrong way. Yes. You know, in other words, you have to make a decision. You have to. Yeah. Everything is not equally yeah. important in life. Right. I don't care what your kindergarten teacher told you. <laughs> <laughs> if it's if it's too late and you've already taught some of that stuff, I think like in my case, I think I would really have to sit down and really think, okay, what did we cover and how did we cover it? And maybe look at the individual assignments. Yes. And whatnot. So were you talking about reading time, for example, included in instructional yes. time? What were they supposed to read? Yes. You know whether they read it or not. Whole other whole other yeah. discussion. Yeah. But what were, what are they supposed yes. to be? Yes. In okay. my in my magical pony land, mm-hmm. everybody actually is overt about writing learning outcomes at the top of their notes for each lesson. Mm-hmm. And the reason that happens in my magical pony land is because it makes so many things so much easier if you. Take the time to just think about these are the two or three most important things I want them to know or be yeah. able to do or feel as a result of this lesson. Yeah. Because then you'll know what's the best activities and what's the best assessment. And mm-hmm. um, and I know I keep 
going back to that, but it really does make mm-hmm. life easier if you do that. Mm-hmm. Because then even if you have taught it, you can go back to your notes and say, oh, yeah, here's the learning outcomes for this lesson. So it sounds like, obviously, then taking a look at your learning outcomes and then the other thing to, to do to prepare for towards the end of the semester and to make sure you're measuring what you want to measure um, sounds like to, to go ahead and, and put together a draft of that yes. exam now. Don't wait. Yes. Uh, and then be brave enough to go back and edit that and yes. revisit it based on how the rest of the semester yes. progresses. Yes. Yes. And again, it'll just make your life easier if you make that draft now mm-hmm. instead of 15 minutes before you have to give it. And then next... Because I'm not going to review it if you yeah. <laughs> Right. Yes, it's exactly right. It's like when I have students who have, they have a big writing assignment and they and I always offer to look at a draft beforehand. But when it's like, you know, a few hours before the yes. due, I'm like, wow, there's really yeah, nothing no. I, you're going to get yeah. out of this yeah. uh, at this point. So uh, one, one final question, and I'm curious about like the long-term process of teaching because we teach the same class over and over again. Yes. So once we go through the process of a semester and, and teach this course and we create meaningful assessments mm-hmm. of what students have learned and what we want them to learn, the learning outcomes, the learning goals. Once that happens, what do I do with that material the next semester? Because I don't want to, should I, should I be in the mindset of rewriting the test every semester or re-editing the test at least? Or, or do you find eventually that you can kind of get one that you just dust off and it still fits nicely and the engine still runs and I'm mixing metaphors here <laughs> and, and I can just put it in gear and let it go? Um, you know, if it's working, why not keep it? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we always have to start from scratch. Mm-hmm. If you are using a test uh, that is can be scored using OpScan. Right. Uh, You can do item analyses to find out if you have questions that should be just tossed out because they have, they've not really measured what you thought they would measure. Sure. Or, or perhaps you forgot to teach what you wrote a test item on. I've done that before. I've done that too. And And, it was like, oops, sorry. And and they weren't OpScan tests. We would go over the quiz, even grading it. Because I, I, you know, typically I'm teaching smaller courses where it's like 20 students. Even grading it, I'd be like, ooh, no one got that it was item D. You know, did we talk about that? Yeah. So I, so yes, that that rings true to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But with OpScan, they can actually give you some nice statistics Mm -hmm, related mm -hmm. to it. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can really get all geeky with so, it. So you can use, you can reuse your stuff. You have to think about it before you put it back in the field again, yes. I guess. Yeah. Okay. It, being mindful. Mindful teaching. Mm-hmm. It's um, what I like, I would like everybody to practice. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to have to end it there. Yeah. Julianne, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I know we went to some lofty concepts, but um, it was fun talking to you about things I'm passionate about. I, and I can tell you're passionate about it. It was well worth it. Thanks, Thanks. again. Thank you. So that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Let's Talk Teaching. You can find out more about what we talked about today, about assessments and making sure that you're measuring what you intend to measure with your exams, and much, much more on our website at ctlt.illinoisstate.edu. Click on the podcast link at the top of the page. You can also search for us and subscribe to Let's Talk Teaching on iTunes. For Julianne McFan and everyone here at CTLT, until we talk again, happy teaching.